0: I'm David Katneys. Welcome back to Too Close to Call. A fresh guest for you, the other side of the aisle on the gubernatorial perspective. Phil Cox, who has quite the resume. I'm going to read it all here. The former (laughs) executive director of the Republican Governors Association, campaign manager for Bob McDonnell in Virginia. forgot about old Bob in Virginia. It's It's been some time. Board member of the Senate Leadership Fund, board member of WinRed, that's the fundraising apparatus for Republicans, and a senior strategist to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Tim Michaels, the gubernatorial candidate in Wisconsin, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who most of you know, who is now running for governor in Arkansas, and is also, on top of all that, an advisor to the RGA was the toughest job being the executive director of the RGA? Was that the toughest job you've ever had?
1: The toughest job I ever had was being a transition director for a governor. Um, and for McDonald. I mean, honestly, we, we just come off of, you know, a campaign. And, you know, as a campaign manager, you know, I'd literally been working for Bob at that point for 10 years. I started, I did, I was his GC in 99 for a state house race. And then I did his AG's race in 05. And then we, you know, we won with a healthy margin in 09, but I was ready for a little break <laughs> and yeah. I said, I need you, I need you to stick around for 75 more days and set up my government. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was an interesting, uh, interesting, you know, two and a half months. It's, it's a tough job. You know, you gotta get ready for that first legislative session, which in Virginia, it's only a one year term as governor. So it's right. uh, a, lot work of pressure, quick. a lot of pressure to get it right. Um, and obviously you're spending most of your days in interviews, uh, with, you know, future cabinet secretaries and senior staff. So it was, uh, there was a lot going on, but I was uh, honored to do it and happy to get out (laughs) when it was over.
0: (laughs) So you now work with Calm, who I spoke with about from the democratic side, you work at 50 state, which you guys do political work and policy stuff. Right, we
1: don't do, we don't do political work out of there. It's it's. Oh, you don't do any political buys,
0: work. It, no, it's oh, advising
1: okay. corp, corporations. The, the corporations. I mean, we're both we're both partisans. Uh, yeah, corporations, nonprofits, uh, trade associations are our clients. You know, mostly you know Fortune one hundred, multi state, you know, regulated companies. But um, yeah, so all I mean, your political I, work
0: we, is separate, outside of fifty state. Correct. So your uh, day calendar must be wild, uh, especially this month. I would think.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of travel right now. So and they're really easy places to get to, like Tallahassee and Milwaukee. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I want to get. I want to tap your brain on the gubernatorial map. I went through this with Colm. I'm going to give you where I think things stand, and you tell me where I'm wrong. I think the governor's races overall could be a wash. I think Democrats are going to pick up Maryland and Massachusetts. And then you guys have three prime pickup opportunities, which I would say are Nevada, Wisconsin, and Kansas. And then you have Arizona, which is sort of the Super Bowl for me, just because that's Kerry Lake is fascinating and it's an open seat. And Arizona is a new perennial battleground state overall in every race. Is that how you would categorize the map?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting when Colm and I were at DJRGA and fourteen. We coming down the stretch, we had like you know a dozen states that were within the margin. Um, our map was probably fifteen states that we were you know competing in. This year, the map is probably half the size of that. Um, so it's it's fairly it's far more narrow than it's been in past cycles. Um, what's interesting is the big state incumbents on both sides of the aisle, It's New York, California, Texas, Florida, Ohio, Michigan. Um, I think they're all going to be, you know, reelected without, uh, you know, without too much trouble. Um, and then I think your map is, is about on target. I think Arizona and Georgia are the two sort of competitive defenses that we have. I think Kemp is in, uh, is heading towards reelection, but it's obviously we've got a super competitive U S Senate race down there and a ton of money being spent. Arizona, as you say, complete toss-up, although uh, I'd put my chips on the table for Kerry Lake uh, just because of the political environment. Um, and then I think it comes down to uh, Nevada, uh, Wisconsin, which I'm working on, um, New Mexico. I would put Oregon in there as well as right. Kansas. Oregon I left out uh, Yeah, with a third-party party man, candidate. Yeah, with an honorable mention to Maine, because it's just a very polarizing, polarized Ah. state, Uh, LePage running again. Um, You know, I think it's a little bit of an uphill fight for Paul, but, um, you know, it's Maine, right? And in a a good Republican year, you could see Paul LePage winning.
0: Can you tell me why Gretchen Whitmer looks like she's going to sail in a battleground state that was so close in 2020?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm not I'm not directly involved in that campaign, but just watching it uh, from the cheap seats. uh, I know Tudor Dixon uh, has had a hard time raising money and it's not an inexpensive state. So that's I think that's number one. Uh, As a challenger, you've got to be able to build your own brand. And she's had a hard time doing that. uh, two, uh, you know, I just looked at the numbers, and Whitmer has consistently been above fifty on the ballot. And when we beat in comments, really, we have to have a couple of factors. One, you have a wrong track environment in the state. I think Michigan's kind of mixed. Um, you know, two, uh, you know, you've got to have uh, a really, you know, solid a solid challenger that's that's really, really super well funded. Um, and I don't think we. We really have that. And then three, you got to have an incumbent um, that can that, that can't break 50. And we see that in Nevada. We see it in uh, New Mexico. We certainly see it in Wisconsin. Um, those are sort of the three factors. It's not often that incumbent governors get beat. Um, right. And it's only happened, I don't know, you know, five, to- I don't know, a handful of times in the last 20 years um 2018 was a big
0: year for for incumbents to go down but
1: bevin lost in in, uh 17 and yeah and then walker lost in 18
0: and um you had you know the kansas governor lost a primary so you had some different circumstances there but i was looking back at the history it's very hard to beat an incumbent governor but 2018 was sort of an odd year where i think four of them lost
1: you got to have that wrong track environment in the state and there is a wrong track environment nationally where, you know, two thirds of the country thinks the country's moving the wrong direction. You know, you ask people about the economy, they think, you know, the numbers even higher. It's over 70%. But a lot of times governors can sort of uh, uh, change, change that environment in the state through their own leadership and messaging. Um, you know, we see a wrong track environment in Florida nationally uh but the state you know uh if you ask people about the direction of florida they'll say overwhelmingly it's moving the right direction so um, wrong, track Whitmer, Whitmer, it, it wrong, wrong track
0: means what wrong track means 55 percent of the people think or do you need it at 60 like what when it when is it sort of atomized as wrong wrong direction yeah
1: i mean it, what i would describe as a severe wrong track environment that creates an environment and an opportunity to beat an and come in is when two-thirds of the, the, the voters okay. in the state think the state's moving in the wrong direction. And okay. I like uh, Illinois in 14, it was like an 80-20 wrong track. You know, Wisconsin this year, it's, you know, it's well over 65 70%. So um, I think those, those are good opportunities for challengers to win.
0: Is your best opportunity at beating an incumbent this year, Nevada – and Steve Sislak because the unique economic circumstances there, or is it someone else?
1: I'd put, uh, I'd put Nevada and Wisconsin as one and one, eight. Um, and I'm, I'm a little biased because I'm right. grinding it out in Wisconsin every day, but um, you know, Evers has failed to break 50 in any poll. Uh, the Marquette poll came out yesterday. He was at uh, um, 47, I guess, in the poll. Um, and so, you know, and, and the race is tied. It's Wisconsin. It's a super polarized environment. Everybody has their team jersey on. Um, and, and, you know, the, the amount of truly persuadable voters at this point is probably like 3%. So, yeah. And then Nevada, I think you're right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's a state that relies on uh, tourism, um, you know, the entertainment industry, his lockdown policies during the pandemic. Uh, really impacted a lot of people um, in particularly in the service sector. And, um, you know, and and folks aren't happy with that. And I think the interesting thing about Nevada and some of these, some of these states, Georgia to an extent, Florida, obviously, is Hispanic vote. Um, You know, Hispanic vote, you know, obviously Biden did well in 20. And we've seen probably a, you know, conservatively a 15, 20 point shift among Hispanics moving away from the Democratic Party. Uh, That's not to say that Republicans have close the deal yet uh with Hispanics I think we have more to do but I think that's a they are a very if you look at it as a voting block, and I don't like doing that but for the purposes of this conversation they're very persuadable right it's a very swingy sort of electorate you can get up uh you know in 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 Florida you know I think governor DeSantis can do extremely well with Hispanics I think it could be a good chance to win
0: right he can Um, win DeSantis can win Hispanics in Florida this year
1: We'll see. I mean, I, I what I would just say is, I mean, not all uh, not all communities are alike, right? So when we say the Hispanic vote, it's right. South Florida's different. It's the than lazy way. Orlando, of... right. yeah, and, and it's very different in Nevada, and it's different in New Mexico, and it's different in um, in Arizona. So, but I do think just as t- zooming out and looking nationally, it's a very persuadable electorate if you show up. And you you talk about the issues that they care about, which is you know the economy first and foremost, education, public safety. It's the same issues the rest of us care about. Um, then I think you got a shot. You know you got a shot to win. And um, Governor DeSantis has been showing up and he's been delivering real results, and that's why I think he's got a got a, got a good shot.
0: I want to get to DeSantis in a minute, but on because you're working in Wisconsin and that and that I think is the one of the closest races. Is that track does is that race just tracking with where it was in 2018 when evers barely edged out beating walker f- for a third term i thought walker was going to win that race i thought he was uh, sort of impossible to beat and then evers this just sort of bland boring what was he a superintendent of, uh, i think state official just didn't really have any z- zest in my opinion as i watched him but the guy won is it is it that's is it the same? Are we sort of rerunning a race with a different candidate, and now the, Dem- the Democrats, the incumbent?
1: No, I mean you have four years of uh, of Tony Evers's record, and well, yeah, they had um, eight think, years
0: of Walker's record,
1: right? Well, sure, and you had Walker running for a fourth time actually because he had a recall in the middle, so oh, I think right. there was a little bit, a little bit of maybe fatigue around um, around Walker running again, and he run for president and all that too. So right. uh, there's a lot of, a lot of Scott Walker on the mind uh, at that point, but it, I mean, it's a very polarized state. Um, what I would say about Evers is, um, you know, uh, when you ask voters, they just bland is a good term for it. Weak would be, uh, probably a stronger, more accurate term. His leadership has uh, has been, has been weak. And, You know, particularly on crime, I mean, you have to look at these, I mean, sure, inflation, the economy is number one issue wherever you go. uh, It is the number one issue. You know, half the electorate's going to say that that's that's number one. But in Wisconsin, crime is a close second. And uh, there isn't a day that goes by, sadly, uh, where there isn't, you know, some some murder, um, you know, some event that happens. That is, you know, that captures the news and 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 captures the attention of the public, and it's everywhere. It's not just Milwaukee, although Milwaukee is, um, I think, suffering through the highest crime rate in in nearly four decades. Um, And Evers failed. He's just failed. He's he's let out. uh, He's he's had an early release program. um, He's let people back on the street. They've been trying to cut the prison population. He kept his promise on that. He let a lot of violent criminals back on the street, and they they did what everybody would expect that they they recommitted crimes uh, and some of them very heinous crimes. So that's something that's uh, localized somewhat to Wisconsin, uh, but you see it happen in in other States as well. And so that's what the race is about right now. It's about the economy. It's about crime. The, the, you know, the other side's trying to make it about abortion and other stuff. But um, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's going to come down to public safety and who they trust.
0: You mentioned Georgia briefly, There's some conflicting data in that state. And you mentioned the Senate race, which I don't know if it's dominating in the state or if the, you know, I've sort of been taught that governors have a more personal relationship with constituents and that people, we in Washington are obsessed with senators, but in the states, they're obsessed with governors. Can you tell me where the Kemp Abrams race sits today? One poll had it within a point. I've seen more, most other polls that Kemp is consistently ahead by six or seven that seems to be a pretty big difference where where yeah, i think he i think
1: he's i think he's ahead outside the margin of error i mean i think okay. it's five six seven somewhere in there uh, again if it's a good republican year i think you could you could see him on that seven eight range if it's maybe you know wow. not as good nationally you know maybe he's at four or five but he wins i don't think there's any question he's going to win that race and, and does
0: he pull talk Walker? It,
1: talk, he might, I mean, he very well might. Um, I think you know I, I'm not paying as much attention to the Senate races as I am in Governor's races, but you know Herschel's obviously had a you know tough couple of weeks. Um, yeah. and uh, you know so I, the numbers I've seen with him are down a couple of the tide, you know um, so I, I think if Kemp you know performs on the upper end of that range, I think Herschel very well. Could win, but I mean, there's he's headed towards. I mean, Herschel's going to be headed towards uh, a runoff. Um, right. I think pretty clearly it seems.
0: Pretty Warnock likely, doesn't get to um, there's no chance, or there's little chance Warnock gets to 50 plus one on November 8th.
1: I think uh, just based on my reading of it, and I don't pretend to be a Georgia expert, there are others who know a lot more about the state than I do, but I think it seems likely but that's going towards a runoff, which is just what everybody in Georgia wants. You know? <laughs> like yeah, that, got, we need another runoff a, in Georgia. Yeah, another runoff right around the holidays, right?
0: It's right. Brutal. Which will be it's December brutal. 6th, uh, right yeah. after that Thanksgiving holiday. It's going to be, you know, to the wall. What was Kemp's secret sauce? Because, you know, there's so much hype, national hype around Abrams. Was that part of the problem? Was she got too close to the sun nationally, or is it st- – or there are things that he did very smartly to be able to win a race against a very well-funded, prominent figure in a rematch. Uh, it looks like he's going to win considerably. How do you make that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, i look, go back and look at the fact that he, he ran against David Perdue with Trump's backing in the primary. And he dispatched him handily. I mean, handily. I mean, what was the final number? I'm trying to remember it was like
0: seventy thirty. It was it was like forty points or fifty 30, points. Thirty five or yeah. It was, it crazy. was crazy. Nobody wins. So that I way. think I mean he
1: rolled right over him. And um a and, senator. I mean I mean, think about that. As a well funded center, well known, a well well liked center, ter- particularly among Republicans. Um, and uh rolled right over him. And I think he just he brought the party together in a way that it hasn't been together in a while in that state um and then he governed well you know he's he's been a good governor throughout his term but he continued to just use the mantle of leadership um you know which i i, I recommend to you know all of our incumbents just stay focused on the main thing which is um you know kitchen table issues jobs the economy uh, public safety, education, you know, in some places, at infrastructure and transportation, workforce, those kind of things at the gubernatorial level make a difference. And if you're out there and you're visible and you're leading, you have a plan, uh, you're telling people what you're going to do and then you go do it. Um, uh, I think their voters are going to reward you. And that's what's happened in Georgia.
0: So in these states where you've got a, a highly competitive Senate race along with the governor's race. Do they always, is the governor always the ticket driver because that's the top of the ticket or are there instances where the Senate race, I don't know if it's Wisconsin, you know, Arizona, where the Senate race is the lead ballot.
1: I mean, like Pennsylvania right now, um, in Ohio would be two examples where the Senate race is clearly the driver of the discussion, the conversation and the money. Um, you know, Wisconsin is the most expensive governor's race in the country right now, I think, based on, uh, based on the most recent reports. So there's a ton of money being spent on the Senate race and the gubernatorial race. I think that's kind of like equal playing field, equal playing field in Nevada, um, relatively equal playing field in Arizona. But you got some states where there's less competitive uh, governor's races, more competitive, highly competitive Senate race. Senate races. I mean, Pennsylvania has sort of been nationalized in, the, in a way that Senate race has, um, getting getting a lot of national attention. Um, so it just depends. It's kind of situational.
0: So I want to ask you about Florida. DeSantis looks like he is comfortably ahead, sort of in the a, in a same situation as Kemp in Georgia. Or I don't know, would you would you describe his situation differently i mean both running for re-election but looks like he's comfortably ahead democrats a little more engaged in georgia than florida i guess is the difference
1: well yeah i mean he's again just like kemp he's done the most important thing which is uh, to govern well and you saw that over the course of the last couple of weeks with the storm um, for any of your listeners who want to help out i think the hard work is just beginning down there um so you can go to Florida disaster it's Florida disaster fund.org I think we've raised over 35 40 million dollars being led by uh, Casey DeSantis the first lady and there's a lot of people who have been displaced from their homes particularly in, in Lee County the four Myers area that that are going to need help um, you know for for months to come as they rebuild so anyway the governor the governor's focused on uh, you know, governing and leading, uh, he's done a tremendous job, uh, not only with the storm, but from education to the environment to the workforce. Uh, we have historic budget surpluses. Uh, obviously What's the accomplishment the he's
0: most proud of?
1: I mean, that's a good question. I, I you know, I, I think if pressed, maybe he would just say keeping the state open during the pandemic, um, mm. because he was getting you know just a ton of pressure, and he was. Uh, You know, Exhibit 1A, um, he was he was the number one target for the left from, you know, The New York Times, The Washington Post to ABC, CBS, CNN, everybody, you know, saying that he was, uh, you know, defying the experts and doing the wrong thing when, in retrospect, he did the right thing. Um, They prioritized the most vulnerable, put seniors first. Um, made the right decisions, the right calls. I mean, he's a very data-driven guy. He read the studies, he consulted experts. Uh, he wasn't just going to take what uh, you know what the CDC said, CDC said and, and without questioning and asking and doing his own research. Um, came to the conclusion that that you know you needed to put seniors first and protect the most vulnerable, but then you can keep the state open, and he did. Um, and I tell you what, there, you know, there's a day that goes by where people aren't coming up and saying, "Thank you, uh, you saved my job, you saved my business, you saved my restaurant," um, you know, all those things. So it's like as he says, you know, it's not like you know, we're not in a, people are pe- most people are not in a Zoom economy. They can't get away with zooming their way through the day. You know, they have to show up, go to work, go to the job site, go to, you know, go to the restaurant, you know, work back at the house. And he protected all those jobs. Um, And he took the bullets for people. And he really, I think, became a champion of the working class in the process. So I I think that's probably what he would say, but you'd have to ask him.
0: DeSantis is obviously getting the big profile treatment now that he's, you know, suspected to run for president one day. Can you address this creeping critique of him that he's a social misfit, that he doesn't really like people? There is a quote in the Dexter Filkins piece in the New Yorker from a political leader who deals with him, who says DeSantis isn't comfortable engaging with other people. He walks into meetings and doesn't acknowledge the rest of us. There's no eye contact or interaction. He doesn't like people.
1: Bullshit. That's how I address it. It's a total fabrication. Um, I mean, I spent a lot of time with him. spent as much time as probably anybody he's, Um, I mean, he's busy. (laughs) He's very efficient with his time. Um, You know, he's not a guy that, you know, when he was in D.C. would work the cocktail circuit. I think that's a plus for most people. Um, He's got three kids under the age of six, Uh, you know, a wife who came through, uh, you know, a cancer battle over the last year. So when he gets done with work, he goes home. And he, uh, you know, he does what the rest of us do, he tries to be a good, good dad and a good husband. And that's where he enjoys spending his time. So, um, you know, he's a good guy. The guy has got a good sense of humor. Um, he's uh, he cares about people um, and he's a strong leader. And I think that's what our party's looking for.
0: Another GOP consultant said Ron's strength as a politician is that he doesn't give a fuck. Ron's weakness as a politician is he doesn't give a fuck. Big donors, he doesn't give a shit, cancels on them all the time. Is that a more accurate portrayal?
1: No. I mean, I, I he's do you think you can cancel on big donors all the time and raise 180 million dollars? I, mean, I don't know. On, I'm dude. asking, you
0: know, I, you know, he's got a reputation an that I'm sure money some money just is coming through the door because he's ron DeSantis, he's seen as the future right i mean you don't much-
1: raise you don't raise nearly 200 million dollars without putting the work in i mean come on um so and you know that and i've been doing this for 26 years it it takes a lot of work um you know to get to get people to give that kind of money and how's he, he different
0: than how's he different than mcdonald who you you spent a lot of time with and and we're close with i know you spent more time with mcdonald but like would somebody else who had national aspirations. Is there any comparison that you,
1: I mean, Bob never really, I don't know that he really had national aspirations. Um,
0: Okay.
1: It's, it's, you know, it's an apples to orange comparison because, you know, the party has changed so much in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. Um, You know, I I just, it's just a different, we kind of went through that transitional phase from sort of like the Bush years to the Trump years. And we were kind of, searching as a party for, um, you know, for an identity in a way. And, um, and I think DeSantis, uh, for the time that we're in right now, um, you know, really Republican voters love him because he's, he says what he's going to do and then he goes and does it. Um, and, uh, you know, he he doesn't back down. He's a fighter. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think he's, he's, uh, you know, for the time that we're in right now, there's a reason he's as popular as he is. How much is he going to win by? Look, I mean, the last the last three governor's races in Florida were decided by a point or less. Um, he uh, he won his race uh, four years ago by 30,000 votes in a state of 22 million people. It's still a very competitive uh, state. It has become more Republican uh, when he ran. There was about a 300,000 uh, voter registration uh, disadvantage um, for Republicans. Democrats had a 300,000 vote advantage just in terms of registration in 2018. And today it's it's uh, 250, nearly 300,000 to the good on the Republicans. So it's been nearly, you know, more than a half a million uh, registration vote swing. Part of that is Republicans moving into the state. Um, you know, Florida looked as, as a beacon of freedom you know, uh, a lot of folks were uh, fleeing these lockdown states, these lockdown policies and, you know, in, in places like New York and California and the Midwest and, and moving to Florida. So there's certainly a lot of that. Uh, you have folks drop off the rolls um, and you have people that have switched party registration. So um, it's more a Republican state. So it's a bigger kind of pond to fish in in terms of Republican votes, but mm-hmm. still super competitive, competitive. Um, competitive state. So uh, I expect them to win, but, um, you know, anything in the, uh, you know, winning by three or four in Florida is a landslide.
0: (laughs) Right. I'd like to end on the Senate because I didn't know you were a member of the Senate leadership fund board, the mega giant super PAC funding Senate races, bailing some of these Republicans out. That's sort of the question I wanted to get at. I've heard some murmurs from other people that The SLF is sort of doing all the tough work. The Republican candidates didn't raise enough money that the NRSC isn't sort of prepared for the last, you know, 30 some days here, Uh, you know, that Rick Scott sort of changed the role of the NRSC. What's the perception of the way that he's handled the NRSC and are donors more comfortable going to the outside group?
1: Well, I mean, I think donors are comfortable with the leadership that Stephen Law provides at Senate Leadership Fund. He's done a good job. He's been there for a long time. Um, You know, he's obviously close to, um, you know, Leader McConnell, but um, it's been a very uh, steady presence, you know, cycle after cycle for now, you know, well over a decade. Um, And they do a good job. You know, they're good stewards of donors' money. And... um, And I think you know, uh, having McConnell encourage people to give doesn't certainly doesn't hurt, right?
0: Has the NRSC dropped the ball?
1: I mean, I look. I'm not. I'm not close enough to say. I really don't know. I've seen them cancel some buys in some places, but that happens all the time. I mean, I ran a national committee. You coming down the stretch in October, you got to make some hard decisions, and and um, so I I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I, I really don't know. I'm not in the room, so. Um, you'd have to ask them.
0: So as a board member, you just get to pop on zooms and.
1: Yeah, pretty much. They asked, they ask, <laughs> the they ask the old rubber stamp, David. It's like, hey, <laughs> okay, let's go spend 300 million. All right. Let's
0: My go. God, they're going to so spend more than 200 oversight. million.
1: But we're, I'm certainly not running the committee. No, Steven sure. runs the committee and he has a team and, you know, he'll call me for advice on occasion. And then obviously we talk about fiduciary and fiduciary stuff. And, and, things that you know boards need to need to pay attention to so can you um, share a, a piece of committee.
0: advice can you share a piece of advice you you've given steven on a senate race
1: um no that's between me and Stephen. <laughs>
0: well it was worth a shot phil told
1: you i'm trying not to make news today david come on i know well
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe a little um Thank you for the time. I appreciate you going through the gov races and a little bit of Senate stuff. And I'd love to uh, circle back with you, maybe right before election day to get your final predictions. Happy to do it. Thank you, David. All right. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye.